Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're beginning a new study today on uh, 1 Peter. Um, we, are, uh, we are a church. It's always interesting for me to talk to you before and after the service. I, I love to get updates on your lives and what's going on. Uh, some of you lie to me. Um, and you say, oh, everything's going great, you know, and uh, you're burdened with things. That's okay. I, I'm, I, I joke about that. I don't consider you a liar or anything like that. I appreciate people who are trying to persevere. Um, we do, I do want you to always know that I, I want to bear burdens with you and uh, us be, as a church, one that really cares about things and is able to pray for things. Um, I do get a little frustrated that uh, when I hear uh, someone was sick or hurting or in some way gone through a difficult thing months ago, um, and I go, oh, I wish I would have known. Uh, uh, but uh, we, we want to share life that way with one another and uh, pray for one another and care for one another. Um, life's hard. Uh, life's difficult. And I, I would even say it this way, life is long. Life is long. Uh, that the burdens of this life go longer than we want them to. Uh, we say, uh, you know, I can handle about this much, about this much, and uh, the trials are usually this much, right? And uh, we do feel like we are, um, I would say it this way, that we come up weak, come up weak, not just come up short, but come up weak. It's not that we um, can't outlast it, it's that we're too weak, uh, we lack the strength for the trials that come to our lives. And, and when I say coming up weak, I, I want to acknowledge that some, some trials are horrendous, horrendous. I think of some of the health trials that I'm aware of and watch people go through, and it's been a very long time, it's been excruciating pain. And uh, there's this pushing out and, and going for another day, and we want to say tomorrow will get better, but, you know, that may just be wishful thinking. Uh, and for others, it's, it's the simple things of life, uh, just relationships or uh, finances or um, things that we wish were different, things that we hoped, uh, we pictured would be different. And in our weakness, in our weakness, we come up short. We, we feel like, oh, I, I just don't have enough. And so we come to the book of 1 Peter, uh, which is a book uh, that will hopefully encourage us in the Lord uh, about uh, this life and what we are to do. And I realize that um, Tehachapi is easy living. It really is. Um, it, it is really easy living. It's, it's a nice place to live. I remember some older folks one time, uh, they lived here for a long time and they said, oh, Bear Valley's changed a ton. The traffic. <laughs> and I, I looked at them, and in, with all due respect, there wasn't much. But uh, I scolded them, and I go, how long have you lived here? There's no traffic here. Uh, now we complain about there's four people backed up at the gate, and, you know, boy, it's, it's awful. I tell you, awful. Uh, it's easy living here. Uh, it, it's very easy living. And yet... Um, Living as uh, weak uh, people in a sinful world, there will always be difficulties. And uh, the enemy desires for us to not walk with the Lord and to walk in our weakness. 
uh, and fail miserably. And so uh, we look to the book, uh, the Word of God, and the book of First Peter for encouragement in these next months as we are together. Um, we're going to start at the beginning, and I just want to read this first section. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to share with you uh, these first couple of verses here. God's Word says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who were elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And God, we ask your blessing on your word. Help us to uh, take it in and not reject it, that we would submit to your word. And may you change our thoughts through the Spirit's work, that sanctifying work even spoken of in this passage. God, thank you for your kindness to us and your mercy. Thank you for being enough for us in our weakness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So... um, I think it's, I, I don't know if you enjoy getting mail. It, it was a lot more fun when you were a kid, right? Uh, now mail is either an advertisement or a bill. That's about uh, all, that, all that you get, and uh, the advertisements are more. It, it's interesting, though, if you just get a white envelope, and um, it says your name on it, but you immediately look to see where it's from, who it's from. Uh, you, you have that, that important, you know, return address that tells you this is who it's from. And, uh, then it moves over to, this is how it got delivered. This is who it's to. And this morning, as we look at the beginning of first Peter, we realize, uh, that that's the way these letters started out. You can see this throughout the new Testament. There's uh, much of this idea of, this is who it's from, these two issues handled, and then this is who it's to, and that's what we're going to handle here in First Peter this morning. So we start with the return address, if you will. Um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Most of you know who Peter is. Uh, as you look to the Gospels, the story of Jesus, Peter was one of those main characters, main characters. Uh, it shares with us uh, in the book of uh, John, John chapter 1, um, when Jesus and, and Peter met, it says this, that uh, verse 42, he, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall now be called Cephas. And then in parentheses, it's added, which means Peter, which means Peter. This, this idea that uh, Peter was renamed by Jesus. This is the one that uh, Jesus called. And, and later on, as we look in the story of Jesus, we realize that all the big events Jesus, uh, Peter was a part of. He was part of, as some have said, the inner circle of the 12 disciples, he had a front row seat to much of what Jesus did, and when there were big things going on, he was one that was in conversation with Peter, or with Jesus. You realize that the latter part of Jesus' ministry, um, he, uh, 
he had some special conversations that we can reflect on. And uh, as he was talking about his church and the building of his church, he, you know, addressed Peter and he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And uh, signaling that Peter would be uh, this important place and uh, part of the process of building his church. Peter was going to be that, that guy. Um, and even in Peter's failing, uh, Jesus had this conversation, do you love me, Peter? And if you do, feed my sheep. And this back and forth between him. And, and he had a re- Jesus had a relationship with Peter that was clear that he was going to use him later on, uh, even after Jesus left. And we find in the book of Acts, at the beginning of the church of Pentecost, that Peter was deeply involved in the establishing of that first church. Peter was there. And as uh, these readers would have heard the name Peter and realized this letter was from him, it would have been a big deal to them, knowing that he was foundational in the ministry. He'd known Jesus. He was foundational in the ministry and the beginning of the church. It would have been great encouragement to them. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's important that we acknowledge uh, we're prone to hero worship. Uh, we just are. Uh, we know who our favorite baseball player is or our favorite politician, if there is such a thing. Uh, and uh, we, we always, uh, you know, when people, we see people famous, we're somehow going, <gasps> do you know who's here? Um, there's a funny thing going on right now. Not funny and uh, uh, just it's hard for us to imagine. But many of you have probably heard of Kanye West, uh, a, a very... Um, well, he's a celebrity. He's a celebrity and known for his wild living and him always wanting to be a part of the limelight in sinful ways. Um, it's an odd thing, but uh, a guy that um, is a friend of a friend, Blake Boys, uh, some of you know him. He's the son of the former, one of the former pastors here. He's a minister. He, he worked with a man at a church in Houston who now is a pastor in LA. And Kanye West has wandered into their church. And uh, he's now meeting with this pastor over and over again, every week almost. Um, you, you know, and it appears that he has come to know Christ. And the, the, uh, the days ahead will uh, show us that. And we, we're amazed by that. And so uh, we look to celebrities, to celebrities. And it's easy for us to look to celebrities. But uh, as Peter addresses this letter, he says, I'm Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and as he sh- says an apostle, he's kind of throwing down his badge. He's kind of throwing down his badge. I am an apostle. I'm an apostle. When I say throwing down a badge, you, you guys know what that is, right? Uh, if you've uh, the idea of you see just a, a regular person and you, um, you know, just see him as a regular person, and then they pull out their badge and you go, "Oh, I need to listen. I need to listen." And it's not because of the person; it's because of the badge. It's because of the badge. And so, as Peter identifies himself, I'm Peter, apostle. Of Jesus Christ. The word apostle is a word that means one sent, one sent by another. It's the idea of the mailman, if you will. 
I send you with this. I, I give my message to you to give to them. And so the authority that Peter had wasn't because uh, he'd seen some incredible things and he was a bit of a celebrity when it comes to the church and uh, a lot of people, had, he'd done great things. It's none of those things. It's because he sent and it's derived from the one who sent him, Jesus Christ. And he identifies Jesus as the, the man, his name, and Christ, what he did. And uh, I, it's always important for us to remember, as we look to the Word of God, that the Word of God is not because of a man. It's not because of a man. It's a message from God through men. It, it's a, a message sent to us, but he chose to send it through men, through people. And as we get the message... It's, we should listen to it, not because of Peter, Paul, and the others. We should listen to it because it's from God. It's from Him. And it's very important. Uh, sometimes, uh, maybe if you're visiting here or you're unfamiliar with the church, you say, why do they make such a big deal out of the Bible? Why can't they talk about something else? Um, well, first of all, you wouldn't come if we talked about something else. You realize, you know, it's at best a cartoon, right? Uh, it's really deep time. That, you know, it, it, we don't have anything to say. We don't have any authority to say it. We don't have any message that you should throw the weight of your life upon. Uh, we have a message from God. And so as Peter addresses this uh, this letter, this the this meant to go to a bunch of people. He says, yeah, I'm Peter, the one sent by Jesus. Um, It's interesting, too, that uh, the other great apostle that did most of the writing in the New Testament is the apostle Paul. And it's not without reason. Peter, when he shared his name, everyone went, oh, Peter. And when Paul shared his name, they go, what? Paul? Uh, Very different, very different response. Paul was always defending his apostleship. Why? Because he used to be a killer of Christians, and that kind of gives you a reputation, if you will, among the churches. Um, uh, But Peter, on the other, very different. Uh, His uh, apostleship, people acknowledged, and uh, it was something from for them. They got excited about hearing from Peter. And Peter had to make that distinction that he was from Jesus. It was apostleship. That's the reason that they should listen. And so as we look at, uh, as we study these next months, think in terms of authority. Think in terms of authority. And uh, we struggle with authority uh, being a good Americans, right? We struggle with authority. Um, we struggle with it as kids as we go to school and um, we, that parent-teacher or that, that teacher-student relationship, and they can't tell me what to do. They're not my boss, you know, that, that attitude. And always pushing back on this idea of authority. And there's something beautiful and true about that. When you come up against just other people, you realize that you're made in the image and likeness of God, that there is uh, this idea that we're equal with one another. But the problem with that is when you come to 
the word of God, uh, it's not the same. He is over you, whether you like it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. You can say, you can say this to God all the time. I don't have to do what you want me to do. You can say that. You're wrong in saying that. Um, and in time will tell. Uh, sometimes we, um, book of Second Peter talks about this, this idea that we can say blasphemous things and we can shake our angry fist at God. And the, the mere fact that he doesn't snuff us out right then, we think, oh, see, I am equal. I want to tell you, um, the scripture tells us that a different day is coming where uh, you may feel like he's not exerting his authority over you now, and maybe he isn't. He's being patient with you. Um, but that day will come. And so as we get this uh, message at the beginning here, we realize it's from Peter. He is an apostle, and he is writing uh, a message sent from Jesus to us, well, to these people, and then we're kind of in the back row, the second recipients of this Uh, we are receiving uh, this message from God. So we look to the address now, okay? Uh, We we already hit the return label, uh, and now we look to the address. He says, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, um, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling of his blood. We see the the address as he identifies these people as elect, as elect. Now, when uh most of the time we don't we don't use the word elect. I, I don't think that you use that in conversation unless it's politics, right? Uh we're having an election. Uh we're going to the polls. And when we hear elect elections, uh, we are talking about deciding who is going to be in a situation, who is going to be chosen as the president, chosen as the mayor, chosen as your governor, or chosen as your representative. You are choosing who is going to be the one, okay? That's what we think of that word. Um, that word that's used here can also, that word elect, be translated chose or chosen, okay? So you put those two words together, elect or chosen. And as he describes the recipients of this letter and those who have trusted in Christ here today, he says, to the elect, to the chosen, to the chosen. Um, As you hear that word chosen, uh, you really, if you'd know the scriptures, you would really go back to the Old Testament and that, that picture where the Jews knew that they had a special relationship with God, that they were chosen by him. Uh, same type of language is used here. And it was to describe the people of the church, those who are elect. Now I want to stop here. Uh, some of you are thinking in your mind because you're theologically bent and you've read a lot of things, and you're super smart. He goes, oh, is he saying he's a Calvinist? You know, is this the five points of Calvinist, or seven points, or 12 points? There's a lot of points. I can't remember how many there are. Is he saying he's a Calvinist? Um, I just wanted to say the word Calvinist and then say, 
No. I, wanna, I want you to just focus on the scriptures, okay? Calvin uh, wasn't one of the apostles. Um, he was trying to understand what the scripture said, and that, that's the basis for what he wrote, okay? He was trying to work through the scripture. And, and I, I want to say, if, if you're talking about theological terms, yeah, probably so, okay? But know this, know this. Just listen to the words, elect or chosen, uh, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, you're going to hear some of these same words we're going to look at this morning, elect and then foreknowledge. Um, if you look at Romans 8, you're going to see that again, okay, this idea of election, election. Now, the question for you this morning is, who's doing the voting? Who's doing the voting? Uh, who determined, what role do you play in this, if this is an election, and it's bad to think about that, but maybe it's helpful for you because we don't use these terms. Who chose? Who chose? What is Peter saying and as he identifies who is the chosen one? It's them, right? It's these recipients of this letter. Um, I want to encourage you as you try to understand more about God just to let the scripture speak to you. And you say, well, I don't understand how all that can work out. Uh, I know, I know. It's very hard to understand. But the word of God says to the elect, to the chosen. You look at those other passages as well. You look at and you realize there, there's highlighting the plan of God in your life. <laughs> the plan of God in your life. And you say, well, that's discouraging to me. No, it's not discouraging. The fact that God is at work in your life here this morning should thrill you because apart from that, your life is just a mess of bumping and figuring out things that doesn't mean anything. I want to encourage you this morning uh, to know this, that uh, if God's doing a work in your life, if there's spiritual life, vitality, and even the idea of a desire for understanding more, you're most likely chosen. You know why? Because it also says in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you say, well, what does that mean? Um, we sang about it. Did you get it? The, the one resurrect, is resurrecting me is resurrecting me. What, what, what do dead things do? Nothing. Hey, get up. You're not listening to me. Dead in our sins, dead in our sins, apart from the work of God in our lives, we would remain dead in our sins. And so we as this group of people, and as we stand in the back row listening, he says, I'm sending you a message. It's to the elect. It's to the elect. It's to those who have been chosen. And like I said, God's doing a work in drawing people. It's interesting. I, I remember as a youth pastor, um, young lady, I, she was in high school, and she'd lived a very hard life. And she was a teenager now, but she recounted to me that uh, she had a friend 
when she was a, a small girl that had taken her to church. And then uh, she moved again. She bounced around a terrible family. She bounced around again, and she went to a neighborhood where there was a church that had a bus ministry, and she got on the bus. And, and, and then, you know, later on, she bounced around to some of those desert communities, uh, Victorville and Adelanto and others, and she bounced around, and she, she recounts different people that she had bumped into, and then she moved to Bakersfield, and uh, she went to school and had a friend, and that friend um, knew the Lord, and her family invited her over and uh, tried to share with her the gospel, and then through some other circumstances, she moved up here, uh, and once again, other people, God's people around her, and then drew her, and she came to know Christ, when she said, I felt like that God was, you know, always kind of chasing me down. And I want to say he was, he was, he had a plan that you didn't have, you didn't have a plan. He had a plan. And so uh, this picture of election and choosing is a thrilling piece that we can uh, rest in those who have trusted in Christ. And those of you who haven't, maybe this morning is part of the plan of God and where he is chasing you down and choosing you to be his very own, to be his very own. So he says, elect, chosen one. He, uh, he describes them with a few words. He says, to those who are elect exiles, exiles, elect exiles. So um, they're elect, but they're exiles. So the, the idea of an exile uh, really, once again, th- these words really point back to a lot of what the Jews went through in the Old Testament. But now he is including not, not just those who are Jews who have trusted in Christ, but those who are not non-Jews who have also trusted in Christ. Maybe even the primary audience in this group of people. We don't know. But undoubtedly, he is speaking of those who have trusted in Christ, both Jews and Greeks or non-Jews, uh, who had trusted in Christ. He's saying, you are elect. You are elect. You're chosen. But you're also exiles. Exiles. Now, in exile, um, there, there were, in the Old Testament, there were a couple of big exiles and then smaller ones where God's people uh, got taken over and pushed out of the land and, and they kind of got sent everywhere. And, and the point of an exile is they're not living in the homeland. They're not where they should be. And so as he looks at this group of people, he says, you're elect, all the riches that you have them, you are chosen by God, but you are living as exiles. Uh, different translations talks about strangers or aliens. The, the idea that you are, uh, aren't part of what's going on in the country that you're living most of us don't know that, especially there's some of you who have lived in Tehachapi your whole life. Probably a weird person for, for it, you know. Uh, you get stuck in Kern County and uh, uh, you can't get out. No, uh, we, when, when this is all you know, you, you say, well, this is my home. This is where I, I, I stay. This is the place where I'm comfortable. He directs them to think differently, he says, to the elect, you're chosen by God. You have this special relationship with God, but you're also an exile. You're living outside of the homeland, if you will. 
It's the idea of, uh, I have temporary placement here, right? I'm passing through. I'm passing through. Now, when you're passing through, you just make do, right? You just make do. And in fact, there's not this great um, connection with what's going on down here because you know you don't have to live here that long. This is a temporary housing, if you will. Right? You can do anything. It's the, the tent living that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. It, it's the idea that uh, just the simple things of life will do because I'm not staying here. He says, this is the person that you are. You're an exile. You're temporarily. Uh, and, and I would even say this. Uh, many of you know this already. When you live in a temporary place, you long for home. You long for home. It's fun to go on vacation, but uh, many times uh, the vacation ends before you get home, right? Uh, that idea that it's fun and you're, you're going, oh, I'm just dreading the long ride home. Or, or uh, you know, you, you run out of whatever and you're like, oh, I'll just wait till I get home. But you're, you're longing for home. This was the picture in the Old Testament in uh, the different times where they were taken out of the land and taken into captivity. They, they lived as exiles. They dreamed of home, dreamed of being back in Jerusalem, dream, dreamed of being their own nation again. And this is the picture, uh, re- remember, in the midst of difficulty, right? Uh, this group uh, we're going to experience in the next months, there, there was difficult to walk with Christ and they were blessed and elect and chosen, but they were also exiled. They were just passing through, and things didn't seem right to them. They, they couldn't have the comforts of home. They didn't feel right. There's a sense of agitation to their souls. And, and so they, they feel that way, and they long for home. They long for home. And so uh, they're elect, they're exiles, and then there's this last word that I would share with you. They are scattered. <coughs> They're scattered. In our passage this morning, if you see it, um, is a, in my translation, it's, it's a capital. Dis, of the dispersion, of the dispersion. And th- this picture of dispersion is, is a word um, in the Greek, diaspora, but it's a, a title. It's a translation transliteration of a Greek word uh, that describes a group of people or a race living in foreign land, foreign land. Uh, and the, the word means scattered, like a, uh, a, one who's planting seed would take the seed and they would toss that and it would scatter. And this is the picture. Uh, it, um, as you think about this, most of the time, especially at church here, at church here, uh, we, we feel a sense of fellowship and community, and we feel a sense of even uh, majority. Even as you sang this morning, I was thrilled, and like I gained great courage from your singing, the band playing, and I, there's courage in that because you go, hey, we all agree. We all agree. And we're agreeing. And even if we don't know the song, we're kind of singing along and following. And there's a sense of power in, the, in numbers. Well, the description here of grabbing the handful of seed and then throwing it and it's scattering. The greater the scatter, if you will, 
the less power it feels, the, the less fellowship, the less idea that we are the ones who are in charge. We, there's might in numbers. Well, there's also a, a feeling of insecurity and a feeling of, oh, no, uh, when there's just a few of us. And this is the picture that, uh, that they would, this is the identification, the picture that, that they're getting is this idea that they're special, elect, chosen, but they're also exiles behind enemy lines, if you will, and they are scattered. They are scattered. Um, I, I want to tell you that I, I believe that as part of the plan of God, and I don't quite understand all the details as I look to the scriptures, uh, he doesn't really give us that many details. It's more uh, pictures of snippets of what's to come. Uh, I believe that it will get more difficult as time goes on and that God's people will be uh, continuing to be persecuted. And the desire of the enemy is to split us up and to make us insignificant. And this uh, is a message for us now to remember where our courage comes from. Um, even if we are to be elect exiles scattered among the area. Um, he, he says, and I'll just say it, that live, the, the idea that they live in a certain place. And uh, if you look at a map today and you'd see modern day Turkey, um, this is the regions that he lists here. The, there's a, you know, you can look up a map later, but the these are regions, if you will, like counties of that area that are split up there. And he says, those who are there, and the, the idea here is this, that there were probably small home churches throughout that region that were meeting together. There's even a bit of secrecy, if you will, to the book of First Peter. Um, I, I got to travel when I was in college uh, to the former Soviet Union, and uh, I remember we were in... Uh, I believe it was outside of St. Petersburg, and we were going to go to um, a church, and they said, you know, it's an underground church. And I, I thought, well, like, underground? What does that mean? And they said, well, it's, you know, it, it's kind of secret to get there. And I go, oh, okay. And it was the wildest thing. Like, it wasn't like secret handshakes or anything like that. But uh, I remember us getting on a train. Actually, we took the subway to the train. And then from the train, we walked down this dirt road to the middle of nowhere, past a forest, and the forest had a clearing, and as we went down the clearing, we went down this, and there was this house in the middle of nowhere, and that's where the church was. And I, I was thinking, I was thinking, because I was in college, like, man, this is cool. <laughs> Nobody can find us here. Uh, uh, then they were worshiping. It was great. It was a great day and uh, to see God's people doing that. And there's a sense of secrecy to the book of First Peter. Uh, when you aren't the majority, when you aren't a powerful number, uh, there's a danger. And as we look at this book, because of what its content is, we believe that this was uh, a group of people that were uh, persecuted on every side, both by the Romans and the Greeks. Uh, they were persecuted over and over again because they were followers of Jesus. Um, and, you know, when you get persecuted, what should you do? Well, forget about what you should do. I know what you will do. You'll ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, it's the kid going to middle school and 
they say, man, these are my favorite red shoes. I love these red shoes. I'm so excited I got these red shoes. And they go to school and everyone mocks them. And they come home and they say, I hate those red shoes. Never wearing those red shoes again. Why? Because the persecution caused them to think through. I really don't like these shoes that much anyways. Uh, The picture here for the persecuted church is this. Is it worth it to follow after Jesus? Is it worth it to name the name? Is it worth to cling to my identity? My identity, I am an elect exile. Scattered. My identity, I'm 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 Christ. I'm his. And so uh, this is what uh, they were struggling with, this group of people in this area, in these regions, um, identified there. The last part, really verse (coughs) 2, that we'll deal with this morning, talks about the plan of God, the plan of God, the steps, if you will, to salvation. And the plan of God is is interesting. If you think about uh, someone who has a plan, if I'd roll out some plans to a building, I would say this is the plan to the building. And the amazing part of the plan of God, when you look at all the pieces, and we don't see everything, we just see kind of generally vague what's going on. The amazing part of the plan of God is that he takes people and he puts them in the plan of God. This is where, this is where you're going to be right here. This is your plan. This is what I'm going to do in your life that you might fit into my plan. Isn't that amazing? And you say, well, I want to do my own thing. Why? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Your your small, insignificant, temporary life. But the idea of greatness is found in that we would be included in the plan of God. And that's what makes it amazing. Uh, and that's what makes for an amazing life, to be honest with you. Uh, this is what it is to be included in the plan of God. Verse 2, he, and it, the plan of God and for us, the new life and the identity, uh, the new identity we have. The first thing is this, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's the plan of God, foreknowledge, that he, he had this plan before you. This is not something that he goes, what am I going to do with Kevin? How can I fit him into this? This is like, he doesn't fit. Get him. Like, no, it's part of his plan, the foreknowledge of God. This word is used along with elect and chosen in other passages to describe the plan of God in the salvation of individuals, the foreknowledge of God. He goes on to say, in the sanctification of the Spirit, that word sanctification. Is the, is the word, uh, the process of making one holy. It's, it's setting them apart. It's cleaning them up, if you will. Uh, one of the, the defining things about us, apart from Christ, is that we're dirty. We're dirty. Uh, and I would say it this way, unusable because of our filth. Sanctification is the process by which God cleans us up to be what he has saved us to be. Uh, So the sanctification of the Spirit. Thirdly, he says, for the obedience to Jesus Christ. Obedience. Uh, This life, as a believer in Jesus, I want to tell you, this is the way this goes. It's not, Jesus saves me and then I do whatever I want. He has saved you so that you won't go back to the mess that you had before. And so now he 
plays a role in your life of Savior, but also of Lord, the one in charge. And so now our life is meant for obedience to him. And uh, don't get hung up on that word obedience. Most of you think uh, your parents were crazy and they made you obey and you didn't like that. And so it's going to be bad for you. I want to tell you, obedience to God, the one who loves and cares for us, his son, Jesus Christ, is best for us. It's thrilling uh, as we learn uh, what it is to follow after him. And then lastly, it says of Jesus as well, and for sprinkling with his blood. The graphic picture of him taking care of our sins by the spilling and spreading of his own blood on our behalf. Now, the last line here, uh, the thing after he, he, he's a return label. He's talked about the, the ones that he's addressed. And he says to the ones addressing, this is what you're, you know, the result of your salvation May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's what it is to know Jesus. Grace and peace. It's not that we never have any times where we have hard times, but in the midst of those times, grace and peace, the result of our salvation. And he says, I hope you get more of that as you walk with him and it's multiplied unto you. I want to give you three things to be encouraged by this morning. And really... uh, it's a way to relate uh, to a letter that wasn't specifically addressed to us and yet is. The first thing, to be encouraged that you are chosen, that you are chosen. Um, I think that uh, a lot of times in a self-esteem movement, we, uh, we do this weird thing where we say, well, why wouldn't he cho- chose me? You know, well, why, why wouldn't he? And yet, I think there's plenty of examples in our lives of times where other people did not choose us. They rejected us. It may be something as simple as, as being on the ball field and they're choosing up teams and you're the last one standing there and nobody wants you. It may be something where they say, hey, uh, we're, you know, uh, apply to go to college and you get the letter saying, we didn't want you. We didn't have enough room for you. Uh, you understand the rejection. You understand the rejection. But I want to tell you, if you're here today, God's working in your heart. That's the evidence. That's the evidence of God desiring you, choosing you. If you've walked with the Lord a long time, it's not about how smart you've been. It's not about uh, the great accolades. That, it's that God has chosen you, and he took you from being someone dead in your sins to being alive with Christ. Be thrilled, be encouraged by his choosing of you. Secondly, uh, be encouraged that you have a soldier-type job. And you say, well, where's that in that passage? Well, it's scattered, right? It's scattered. Uh, Their job now, after being scattered, was to be his witnesses in the midst of the culture that they were in. And, and we have a job to do. This, this life isn't just this random uh, events of life. It's, it's that we have a purpose here today. And it brings meaning to us that we have a message to share as a soldier would uh, go about doing his work. We have a work to do as well. And lastly, I just say it this way, be encouraged that we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And you say, well, why would that be encouraging? I'll tell you why it will be encouraging. Because 
when you experience the loneliness and emptiness of life, and someone would say, yeah, and this is as good as it gets. You go, oh, no. This is as good as it gets? No. No. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And what he was encouraging them with is, you don't have to stay here forever. You're not stuck here. I've got a better place for you. I'm going to take you home. The, the, the problems of this life will be gone, will be gone as you go to truly be home with me. Be encouraged. We're not home yet. Please join with me in prayer as we pray and uh, get back at it next week. God, thank you for your word. And I ask that as we begin this study, Lord, that you would do your work in us, that you would help us to see the riches that are found in Jesus that we would be thrilled with what you've done. And God, I, I pray that you would uh, ignite our hearts with the life that comes through Jesus, that we would not be discouraged, that we would persevere knowing that it's worth it. It's worth it. God, thank you for each one here today. Uh, continue your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. We we'll hope to see you next week.